What a good way to uh, transition into the message this morning, thinking about the beautiful name of Jesus. As our wall says, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Before we open up God's word today, I just want to say, hey, can we just say thanks to God for everything that he does for us? We gather in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ, and he has done so many amazing things for us, starting with salvation, but not leaving us there. He continues to walk with us daily. And even in our church context, even the gathering of, of God's people coming together, we look back at just one week. Last week, if you were here, you would have heard the praises of our king being sung by little children. You would have walked by classrooms, and the word of God was being taught. You would have caught that moment when God restored hearts and called little ones onto himself. Praise his name. He is up to so many amazing things in our church. And we want to say it's all about Jesus. It will always be about Jesus. And we want to start there this morning. As we go to the word of God, we're still in the book of Philippians. And it's been a great ride. Pastor Rick has been teaching us. And there's such deep theology, such rich uh, doctrine in this book. And today we're going to camp out in two verses this morning. We're going to be in the book of Philippians chapter 3. So if you have a Bible, whip it out. Well, don't whip it. You might hit somebody. <laughs> Get it out. Chapter 3, we're going to be at verse 10 and 11. I'm going to read that and then I'm going to pray. Paul says this. I want to know Christ. And the power of his res resurrection. And the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. Becoming like him in his death. And so somehow to obtain the resurrection from the dead. This is the word of God. May he add a blessing to the reading. Let's pray. Father, we gather this morning in the precious name of Jesus. God, thank you for allowing us to come and praise your name. We ascribe all worth and glory to you. In one of the songs, there was a line that says, you defeated the boasting of death and sin. And sometimes we boast in our sin and we boast in uh, things about ourselves. And God, help us to walk away from that and boast only in Christ and what you have done for us. God, this morning as we gather around your word, will you open up our hearts Will you open up our minds? Will we not forsake the moments that we're gathering together to learn about you in freedom and in truth? As Jordan said, as he was leading, he said that in this moment, we have time to praise. And in this moment, we have time to learn. So God, I pray that you would help us to know and understand you even more today. That we would know that we're meeting with the true, real, living God. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, you are conforming our lives into the image of your Son. And God, wherever we're at at this moment, I pray that we would draw, be drawn a little bit closer because of your word, because of your grace. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I'm going to start our service this morning, or start our sermon today with a story. You like stories, I know. Graydon was here last week. He was telling some amazing stories. And I'm just going to jump off his storytelling for a moment. So here's a story for you. A couple years ago, um, I, I, as a man of my household, went home and said, wife, I didn't say that. I didn't do that. But I went into my household and I said, Laura, I got a plan. I got a plan. Are you, any guys in the room that do that to their wives? I got a plan for us. We're going to do something different. We're going to do something new. Well, I did that. I went home and I said, we have a, I have a plan for us. 
And here's the plan. Are you ready? We're going to date. And she says, what are you talking about? We do date. I said, no, we, we're going to date different. We're going to date even better. She's like, is this one of your projects with the young adults? <laughs> I hurt my feelings. I said, no, we're going to date for a whole month, every day. Every day, we're going to go on a date. And she looked at me like, what? I said, no, bear with me. This is a great idea. We're going to date with purpose. We're going to date to know each other even more. She's been like, we've been married for, we've been together for 20 years. I think I know you. I said, no, you don't know me. You don't know me. I got areas you need to know. So we're going to go on a date every day. And she, was, she thought I was joking until I pulled out a PowerPoint slide. <laughs> Till I got a chart and just put it right up on the fridge. She's like, you are serious about this. I said, woman, we are dating for a month. This is going to be great. She started to look at the fridge, and there was dates for like going on walks and little dinners and little picnics and movies. We were going to go to baseball games, and it was amazing. I had a plan, and it was a great plan. It was an amazing plan. And nine days in, I was done that plan. <laughs> nine days in, I was like, whoo, this is way too much work. <laughs> like, why are we doing this? Who was, whose bright idea was this? But that's the, the beauty about covenant relationship is the, the other half. She said, no, we're in this, and we're doing it. I was like, oh. So she began to pick up where I left off. So I stopped at 9. She started at 10. She was going to 30. And I thought she would give up. I was hoping she would give up. I was praying she would give up on this dating. But she didn't. Every day we would figure something out. She took off my chart. She took off my PowerPoint, threw that out, and she developed her own. So there was this one day I came home from work. It was a rough day. And there are days out at work when we come home, and we're just mentally drained. Like, we're done mentally. So I remember that day coming home, and I'm pulling into the to driveway, and then I, I take the car keys out and put them in my pocket, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to bed. <laughs> and I look up, and my wife is outside. <laughs> She is outside on the porch, and she's saying, get back in the car. <laughs> and I was like, oh, really? <laughs> Can't I just love you from the couch? <laughs> she says, no, we're going on a date. Get in the car. So we get in the car, we start driving. And she's not telling us where we're going, so I'm just driving. And she leans over, and she says, Nick? I said, yes. She says, I need you to keep an open mind on this one. I said, what are you talking about, Willis? <laughs> she said, I need you to keep an open mind on this one because this is something that you would never do. And I said, woman, why are we driving then? Like, let's stop doing this right now if you know. She said, no, we have to try this. I said, okay. So we're driving. She says, take a left. I take a left. She says, take a right. I take a right. Usually I like to just listen to my phone with the directions, but today I was listening to my wife. So we finally get pulled into a, a place, and I look up, and it's a restaurant. And I'm thinking this dating project is going to her head because I love to eat. Like, if this is where we're going, I'm in. How could I, why do I need to keep an open mind on this? Well, she says, okay, we're here. Now remember, open-minded. I said, that scares me. I don't like to be open-minded. So we get in, and we walk up, and the hostess comes up, and she says, are you here for the shared activity? I'm here, I say, I'm here for tacos. Lori gives me a dirty look, walks past me, and I follow them both into the restaurant. I come around the corner, and there's a long table set up. 
with about 17 women and one guy. My wife signed us up for paint night. And she even used a Groupon. <laughs> Date number 17 was paint with your spouse in a restaurant. I tried to bail. Look at the difference. <laughs> I tried to run, but I have to say I liked it. It was a good moment. It was a good time, a new experience, sharing invaluable time with the one I was in covenant with. Not running away, but beginning to understand that dating your spouse was more than just a plan, planning a few events together. And when we think about marriage and we think about relationship, we think about covenant relationship, we think about true, true intimacy in a relationship, it can be hard, amen? Like, I know there's a lot of married people here, and it can be, there can be many levels of emotion and frustration can build up, and sometimes we can forget. We can just say we know the other person, but do we? And in a relationship, you can have these ups and downs, or you can go the total opposite, and you can just live like glorified roommates, where you're just great at patterns, but there's no intimacy, there's no depth. You're just able to, to run the schedules and get the kids to the places, and I'll meet you in bed, but it's then roll over to the other side, kind of lifestyle. And this can be true. And when we gathered for the word today, I believe that God, through Paul, he opens up a little glimpse for us as Christians to really reflect and think about our relationship with Jesus. Paul says these four things. He's sharing the same attitude and concernings and warning to the church of Philippi. And if you know a little bit about Paul, he's in chains. He's actually on a rotation on guard duty. Guards are being chained to him. He's talking about boasting in, the, in Christ. He's talking about his resume that Pastor Rick has taught us a couple of weeks ago. He's, he's in a hard situation. But there's these two passages that I read this morning, two verses that really just kind of give us a glimpse into Paul's heart. And he says these four things. He says, I really want to know Christ. I really want to know Christ. He says, I want to experience the power of his resurrection. He goes on and says, I want to be in fellowship with my Savior during the hard parts of suffering. And then he says this thing that, that I can relate to, and I know we're going to touch on this, and I know many people can relate to this. He says, he, he begins to describe that he has this tension of knowing he's saved, that he's being saved, and that he will be saved, but he still has this, he feels this insecurity about his security. His insecurity about his security. And it's like this moment where he is saying, God, please don't let me miss this. Please don't let me miss this, this, this beautiful relationship that is more than just words and rituals. But it's deep and sometimes overwhelming, this relationship that is available through faith, by grace, that is waiting for me. This is what Paul is saying. He's saying our relationship with Christ, the living king, is more than just a salvation prayer. And it's deeper than just rituals. Paul says, I want to know him. I want to know him. When was the last time you said that about your Savior? I want to know him. I thought about that. It's probably been a long time for me that I actually said those words. Like, I want to know you, God. I want to know you deeper. See, when Paul is using these words, he's using words of intimacy. He says, I want to know you at a heart level, not just at a head level. 
not at a preparatory level, as Pastor Rick taught us a few weeks ago. He says, not with a preparatory knowledge, Lord. See, I want you to help me understand and develop a deep heart connection. Will you move it 12 inches from my head to my heart? Will you do that for me, God? I want to know you. It's like he's saying, God, I want you to take one of those whole digging augers, and I want you to dig deep. Like, I want you to deep, dig down through my theology, down through my doctrine, down through my awesome religious record, my resume, and my rituals and religious things that I do and my good works. I want you to dig down through that. And when this hole is developed, God, will you just, pray, will you just pour grace and mercy and love? And God, will you just deposit faith way down in that hole and a deep longing to know you? Know you through the power of this, this Holy Spirit we talk about, who is fully God. And know you through the reading of your word. God, I want to know you. I want to see you. I want to be drawn to you. That's a powerful statement by a guy who has done so much for the Lord. And when we begin to compare ourselves, we fall short of Paul. But Paul says, I fall short of Christ. So if Paul's falling short, I'm falling short. And if Paul's saying, I want to know you more, we better be saying, God, we want to know you more. Why is this important? I always ask that question when I'm reading the Bible. Why is this section important? Why is it here? Well, I believe if we miss this, we miss it all, including salvation. We can be scholars who sit on a platform every week exegeting the passages with skill and precision and really not know God. We can lead programs and be deacons and miss out on knowing God. We can be leaders in our households or, wor or, or workplaces and really be far from God. I ask myself, why is the passage, why is Matthew 25, 31 in the Bible? Matthew 25, 31 in the Bible. That is a terrifying passage. And if you don't know that passage, it's a moment where God is talking. Jesus is talking about the Son of Man coming in all of his glory and there's this separation moment where these people are gathered and he is separating people from onto his left and onto his right. He's calling some sheep and some goats. This passage is there. And in the bottom of that passage, these people who think they know God, he says, depart from me. I never knew you. And they're like, hold on, wait up. Wait a minute. When did we see you doing these things? And he said, when you do unto the least of these, you do unto me. He says, you don't really know me. You just know how to do rituals. You just know facts. But there was no heart level there. You missed out. Like that passage in the Bible is scary to me. And when I look at that passage and then I go over and I read Paul and he's saying, I want to know you more, all red flags are going off. And I'm, I'm, going through, I'm going through my doctrine, I'm going through my theology, and I'm asking, God, do I just know you at a heart level? Or at a head level? Do I not know you at a heart level? Will you give me some uh, assurance that I do know you? You see, truly knowing God is having the uniform of righteous given to you by Christ. You wearing this uniform and living in obedience to Christ in all areas, all areas of your life. 
Paul says that even those who thought about God and his requirements, but nevertheless has rejected the gospel, will be found on that final day with nothing to present to God but their own righteousness. He says people who, who, who have really, they know about the gospel, they, they know about, about Calvary Baptist Church, they know it's the church on the corner and on the hill, they've attended service, maybe they even tithe. If they don't really know me, if they don't really have the righteousness of my son Jesus, what you present on the last day before the Lord is your own righteousness, a self-righteousness. Paul wants to be assured that the righteousness he is wearing is not his own. He wants to be assured of that. And I say we need to be assured of that. We need to know that we know Christ and not just facts that, really, that have, been, have led us into a religious pattern. Can I say that religion is dangerous if you do not know God? Religion is not a bad thing, but it's dangerous if you fully don't know God at a heart level. Because you see, we can get into these patterns, and from the very beginning, if you go back to the very first book in Genesis, Satan has been there watching the patterns of people. He knows that we are pattern-driven. When I'm doing counseling and we're trying to break sins in people's lives, the first place I start is the pattern. What's your pattern? Let's figure out what your pattern is and then use the word of God to combat your pattern. Because you have a specific pattern that you go to every time, which leads you down into temptation, which leads you into sin, which sin, when it gives full birth, will lead to death. So what's your pattern? Do you want to know God? I do. I don't want to just come to church. I don't want to just be on the pastoral staff, be around cool people that I love in and out and discuss the Bible. That's all useless if I don't know God, like truly know him, like ask him to, to reveal himself to me on a daily basis. I pray, God, your grace and mercy is new for me today, but God, I want to know you today. And if you're sitting there and you're thinking that, like, do I actually know God and you're not too sure, why don't you take a moment and just say, God, will you help me to know you? Will you just open up my heart and my mind so that I could draw close to you, so that I can know and understand your word? God, will you help me to, to really draw close to you? As your word says, you draw close to me, I draw close to you, this coming together. Like, that's the beauty of our God. He says, if, if you don't know, ask like, I love that I can have access to the king right now. I don't need a priest. I don't need a special ritual. I get the power of the living God living in me, and I can go to God right now and say, God, I don't know. Will you help me to know? And I pray that you would not miss out on that today, that you would ask that question, God, I really want to know you, and I want to I turn right now, and I want to begin this new pattern of goodness that is in Christ of knowing you and learning to, to recognize you leading in my life. This is what Paul's saying. That's the first thing he says. The second thing he says is this. He says, he moves on to say, I want to know the power of his resurrection. See, Paul wants to live his life in the, and li live his life, or his, he wants his life to be led with the same power that raised Christ from the dead. He says, I want that power, God. I want that to hold me, to sustain me 
when I'm weak, when I'm ready to compromise, God, I want that, that power to kick in. When he, wants to, when he wants to compromise or when he doesn't feel God, that's the new religion of today. That's the new religion of today. I don't feel God. I, I don't feel him moving in my life. It's not always about feeling. It's about fact. It's about his word. It's about his truth. Don't always rely on your feelings. See, the power of his resurrection is meant as this living power which proceeds from the risen Savior and reveals itself in the believer by working a total renewal of life in him. It means that God is working on the inside when we are weak to be made strong. But often we think this living power is like electrical power, like that we can just tap into it and we're like, I'm on fire today for Jesus. It's going to be great. And I'm going to walk up here and I'm going to go, like, we're going to do this because I've tapped into this power. And, and we, the danger of that is we often go on this hunt. And when you're very low, you're like, God, God's power is not here. He left me. He's not with me. But we know from 2 Corinthians, I think it's 1521, talks about that when I am weak, he is made strong. That is this living power that he's talking about. It's not this electrical power that you tap into. It's this living power given to you by Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit that works in your life. When we think about this, we go back up to verse 8. And Paul says this. He says, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord. It's like Paul saying when, when, you, when you're on a ship and a ship is carrying a precious cargo and a storm arises and the ship's in danger, even though the contents are valuable, they go into the sea. And you take a loss for the sake of saving the vessel. He says, all that I have obtained, even though it looks great in culture and man's eyes, is dung in comparison to knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection that is changing me into the likeness of his Savior. Paul is saying, like, hey, church, get a glimpse of this right now. We need to know him and every day, not just Sunday. Every day we get up, we say, God, I want to live by your power and strength today. God, will you draw close to me? God, will you help me to make good decisions that bring honor to you, bring honor to your church body, bring honor to my family in a way that won't bring dishonor to you as an ambassador for you? He says, I want to know this resurrection power. And this power that we talk about, this is the power that brings fruit. It generates and displays fruit in our life. It gives you the ability to say no. It guides you in all righteousness. This is the power he's talking about. He says, I want to know him, and I want to be transformed by him. Beloved, this needs to be our prayer. And when, God begins, and when God begins to do this, the result is we see obedience in God. We see this joy just welling up. We say, yes, God, more than we say, oh, I don't know if I'm available. We say, yes, God, what do you need? You're listening for him. And by the moving of the power of the Holy Spirit. And when you come into the, the fellowship of the gathering, you're full of joy. You're ready to worship. You look up and you say, oh, magnify the Lord. Yes, I will magnify the Lord with you because he is my Savior. Maybe you don't do it like that, but that's how I feel when I come in sometimes. Like I'll walk normal, but I'm really bouncing. Because I know that we are going to get together and where two or more are gathered in the name, the Lord is there in our midst. And Paul is trying to make sure that his church knows this and understands this. 
Not only that, he says, I want to know God. I want to I live by the power of, of his resurrection. But he says, I want to be in fellowship in suffering. Why would you say that? Like, I want to be an active participant in the suffering. But if you've been transformed, if your mind's been transformed, your heart's been transformed, you're knowing God, you're living by his power, when suffering comes, you say amen. You don't run away. You say, okay, God's going to take me through this. This whole book, the whole book of Philippians is about suffering. It's about, it's suffering, but the theme is joy. Christians, even though we suffer, there is amount of joy that is given to us by God. And it's this beautiful thing. And he says, I want to be in fellowship of sharing in the suffering, becoming like him in his death. See, the progress of growing into the likeness of Christ begins with truly knowing God, living in obedience, and that the power of the resurrection is in the life of the believer. But this does not mean that Christians are sharing in the atoning and redemptive suffering of Christ on the cross. That would mean that we had a part to play in salvation, and we don't. The only thing that we bring to this equation is sin. And we can bring our sin. He wants us to bring our sin so that he can forgive us. It's all about Jesus. But it does mean a personal dying to sin, the crucifying of flesh, and the suffering for the sake of Christ and his cause. When we think about the suffering that we are a part of, this is a personal inventory of our own lives. So this is an individual thing with Christ. It's, it's with Christ, but it's individual. And what I mean by that is it is you in your life, looking at your life and your actions and your friends and the people who are in your life, and you begin to take in a personal inventory and a personal account of things that don't match up with what God wants. And you begin to think about that, and you begin to present that to the Lord, and you say, God, look at those areas of my life. Am I putting cushions in my life so that I will not suffer at all? So that I can, I can block out all suffering when, God, you want to do things in my life? Because we know that suffering helps us to, to develop perseverance, and perseverance will help us finish the race, that we won't run away from Christ, we'll run to Christ when things come. God, did I do that in my life? Did I put all these barriers up that would block you from really working in my life? So it's a, a personal inventory, but it's also a personal accountability with the Lord. Like you ask God to forgive you and then run back to the same thing every time. Like this needs to have a personal accountability. Like God, I, I'm looking at my life. I'm looking at the things that I'm doing. Uh, I, I want to be accountable to you. And my first question is, do you want to know him? My second question is, do you want to be forgiven? Because how many of us come in bagged up? He left, so I'll sit in his spot. We ba we're bagged up here. We got our Bibles in tow. We, we bring in our little trolley of sin each and every week. And we, we, we just, if I, out of mind, out of sight. Or out of mind, out of sight. If I don't think about it, maybe it's not real. It's real. It's there. And God says, well, you bring that in. Why don't you just leave it here? Pastor put it, he asked us. He's like, is it, did you bring anything in this morning? Anything you're praying about? I put my hand up. Jordan put his hand up. We were in that together. We are like, yeah, well, let's get rid of this. I'm not walking out of here with this. I know grace is available here today for, you, for me. So it's this personal accountability before the Lord. Like, Lord, I want to talk to you about this. I want to talk to you about my actions. 
See, the fellowship is in suffering is being described furthermore by the expression of becoming like him in death. And we have to be careful that we don't mistake this as a, a thinking we need to die in the same way as the Lord. And that you, you may find that funny, but I have some people that I work with and they say they're new believers or they're new to the faith and you give them a Bible and they come back like, man, I know Jesus is powerful, but people are so evil. And I'm like, amen. I said, I began to read the gospels. Why did they kill him four times? Like he kept dying on a cross, getting risen again. They're just reading through the synoptic gospels. <laughs> like, why did he have to die four times? They're like, no, no, that's not how it goes. He died once for all. They're just retelling the story. I literally told that to someone last week. Like, why did the people kill him four times? Like, so sometimes we can be mistaken if we're new to the faith. We don't have to be crucified, die on a cross. But the believer is crucified with Christ, Galatians 2.20. We die daily, 1 Corinthians 15.31. We always carry around in the body the death of Jesus, 2 Corinthians 4.10. We have been united with Christ in the likeness of his death, for the old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, so that we were no longer should be in bondage to sin, Romans 6, 5 through 6. So this is this personal accountability, this personal inventory, this personal picking up my cross daily and walking with God. That's what Paul's talking about here. One author says it like this. He says that sharing in the suffering of Christ is therefore not only suffering for the sake of Christ and tribulation and persecution or an imitation of Christ. It means all suffering, physical and spiritual, which takes over the believer by the virtue of the manner of his new life. What he's saying is if you've got a regenerated heart, if your heart of stone has been replaced with a heart of flesh, there's going to be suffering. He goes on to say the agony of Gethsemane, not less the agony of Calvary, will be reduced, however faintly, in the faithful servant of Christ. He says, think of the, think of the garden, the mental pressure that Jesus went through. If you read that story, he bled blood, or he sweated blood. That was a mental a mental struggle, a mental suffering. And then he was crucified on the cross. That was a physical suffering. He says, you who are in Christ, you will have these challenges, but by the grace of God, you can overcome. But don't freak out when these trials come because they're coming. They're coming. And Paul says, I want to be a part of that suffering. He says, I want to be a part of that. When we are in trouble, we need to go to God. And we pray that when this suffering comes, that we act like the apostles in Acts 5. It says this, the apostles left the Sahedrin rejoicing because they were counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. May we, we too rejoice not in our own efforts, but in the saving grace of knowing Christ Jesus. That we are able to live by Christ granting us access to resurrection power. And that he never leaves us, but holds us up in suffering. We need to praise our amazing God for even that, just, just that thought. That when things get rough, he doesn't bail. He comes closer. He says, I got you on this. I got you. When I was young, my mom, my family was not religious, but for some reason, my mom had this poem in her bathroom, like the footprints poem. I had no clue what that was till I was later. I remember like reading that hundreds and hundreds of times. And that catchphrase is like, when you look back, I was carrying you. I, was I never knew that to later on in my life what that really meant. That meant Jesus was in our, in our trials and in our sufferings and in our pain. When we couldn't do it, he was carrying us through it. And he does that for us. 
And that's what Paul says, I want to be a part of that. And then he moves on to this final section. He, Paul addresses this like this. It can be a confusing statement. He says, and so somehow, to attain the resurrection from the dead. This statement sounds like Paul is insecure about his security in Christ. Paul is not expressing an uncertainty in the confidence of Christ keeping his saints, but rather an expression. This expression is a humble expression and a modest, modest self-confidence. He's saying, he's saying, like, Christ, I know that, that you are able to keep us, but I don't want to do anything that would jeopardize my, my life in you. He says, I want to pay careful, unique attention to the things I'm doing so that I will not be in an area or, be jeopard, or jeopardize what you have, the faith that you have placed in me. He says, I don't want to disqualify myself. And all who have this righteousness of Christ, all who are dressed in the righteousness by faith, including the apostles, must watch and continually pray to be aware of the mischief of the enemy. See, we don't fight against flesh and blood, the Bible says. We, we fight against powers and principalities. And what that means is we really do have an evil enemy that wants to take us out. From the apostles to us, as we draw closer to Christ, our enemy is working against us. He is on the move. Today, you just wanted to get up and have a good day. Today, he just wanted to get up and take you out. Don't think he hasn't thought about that today. You specifically. And Paul is saying, I know there's an enemy. I know there's things that will come my way. God, give me, give me the understanding. Give me the, the wisdom to step the right way. Paul has a healthy fear of making sure that he doesn't do anything that would hinder the gospel in his life. He's strategically setting up his life to be aware at all times the calling placed on his life and the one he represents. Paul is sharing with us that we need this posture until physical death. Only in glory will we as Christ followers be able to rest from our pursuit of being on guard against the flesh. This will be an endless battle and because we can succumb to temptation and sin, there will be times when we will feel this insecurity about our security. We can feel like, God, I did something, and does that mean you don't love me? Does that mean you, you hate me? No, it doesn't. But you still have to deal with that sin in your life. But praise the Lord that our word that we base our life off says there is one who stands at the right hand of the Father, who is an advocate for us. Jesus is praying for you and me even now, to his Father. Amen? That's a beautiful thing. So we don't have to feel insecure about our security because he's not going to let us go. As Romans says, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God. And he goes through a whole list. But, there is a but. We will not be separated, but we can hinder. We can hinder. Congregations and leaders all over the world are hindering the growth, growth process because of sin, because we just allow it to, to be in our lives. We don't eliminate it. We don't get rid of it by the cross through forgiveness, by asking God to help us. So we kind of live in it and kind of just say, hey, I'm getting used to this. I can love God, but keep this on the side. And he's saying, yeah, you can love me and get rid of that too, and we can move in, in holy power. But so many congregations around the world are scared to preach the truth are scared to tell people about sin 
They're terrified to talk about hell. But those things are all real and they're found here. We're going to preach all those things so that God will help us to eliminate this stuff out of our lives and move forward. Let us not continue to hinder the process of what God has planned for Calvary Baptist Church because we turn a blind eye to sin. And Paul is sharing his heart and his passion with us. He's saying, make sure that you know God, that you're living in this resurrection power, that you're sharing in the suffering of Christ, that you're living for the cause of Christ and his mission and keeping careful watch of your life. And when you do this, you will experience joy. The Christian walk is always demanding more. It's not just mastering scriptures for our knowledge, for knowledge-based, and flawlessly executing patterns. Just like dating for a whole month will not change my status in marriage. I'm still married. The dating reminds me of the promise of the covenant. It doesn't change it. Knowing God, intimately walking in his power, living for his cause, and being on guard doesn't make us more righteous. It points us to the already perfect righteous of Christ that is for us already. And that is a beautiful thing. We are saved. We are being saved. And we will be saved. And may our heart cry today is, God, I want to, be know, I want to know more of you. I want to live in resurrection power. When suffering comes, God, I'm not going to run away. I'm going to run to you. And God, help me not to feel insecure about my security because I know that any, nothing will be able to separate me from the love of God. But God, please do not let me hinder your growth process by allowing sin to stay in my life. This is the teaching of Paul this morning. This is the teaching for us. Let's pray. Father, you're, you're, you're saying by your word that there is promise for, here, for us to claim. That we can know you. That we can live in power. That you will never leave us or forsake us. And I pray, God, that you would search our lives. Because we're going to go to communion real soon. And God, we do not want to take this communion knowing that there are things in our lives. And, and many right now, even, even myself this morning, confessing sin to you. Confessing things that would hinder me from the growth process in you. God, will you help us here today? Will you hear the prayers of those who are praying at this moment? God, I pray for those who may not know you. Even by the preaching of your word today, we know that your word never returns back to you void that maybe you're planting a seed in hearts today and minds today and saying, hey, do you, you don't really know me. And I want you to, to come close. God, will you do that now? By the power of the Holy Spirit, will you draw close to people? God, will you save people who are not saved here today? Will they come into true, real fellowship with you? God, we thank you that we're able to open up your word Thank you for that. Thank you for Pastor Rick who leads us every week in, this, in the teaching and growing us in the likeness of your, of, of your son, Jesus, by preaching faithfully the word and then training us to, to do the same. God, thank you for that. I pray that you protect him. Protect the leadership of this church. Protect the congregants of this church so that we would walk in righteousness and shine your light as we leave today to those in a city of darkness. May your light shine, I pray. 
In the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather in your name. We know that you are with us. We know that the power of the Holy Spirit dwells within us. We know that we are being changed into the likeness of your Son. God, your word was said to us today. It was preached today. And we pray that it would dwell deep into our hearts so that we may not hinder the growth process that you have for us and for your church. We love you so very much. And we pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.